Go ahead and get your Bibles and hold them up for me. And I was reminded, y'all stand on the reading of the Word, but not with me. I love it, but you'd be standing the whole time. We take it word by word, verse by verse. Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verse 46. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. You know, every disciple, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the apostles, um, every one of them kind of keyed in on certain things. In their writings, they all looked at a different part of Jesus and really brought that to light. Mark, he really emphasizes the miracles of Jesus. And that's what I love getting in the, in the Word here in Mark and reading through His miracles and things and looking at what Jesus did for all different kinds of people. I love what He did for them. So, as we read this, just think, I want you to think a whole lot of, of all the Old Testament. I mean, just every, the Bible as a whole. Think about everything that's led up to this moment that Mark is writing about. There's a verse I want to point out to you. It's over here in chapter 10, in verse 27. The last part of it says, All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. I want to ask you tonight, do you believe that? Do you believe? We say we believe that. Do you believe that all things are possible with God? It says it more, more times than one in the Bible, that this phrase right here, all things are possible through Christ who gives us strength. We, we see that uh, Jesus' mother Mary, she said it over in Luke, that all things are possible. And it's said twice right here in just these few chapters of Mark. I know of at least four times where it is worded, all things are possible with God. With God, all things are possible. With Christ, everything's made possible. So I want, I, just hold on to that. Get that deep into your hearts and your minds here tonight. And re, just hang on to that every day of your life. What's possible? We, we see so many things come up, come to light in our lives. So many challenges come our way. And, and I know I've, I've been guilty of this. I, I can think back of my uncle, uh, Sandra's dad, Barker, taking me out on the lake. I wanted to learn how to ski. And I remember him getting that rope and throwing it out there behind that fishing ski boat and trying to pull me up. And I had the hardest time coming up on two skis to the point where I said, I can't. I mean, I ain't no telling how many gallons of fuel or gas he had gone through trying to get me up. I can't. I can't. And he said, can't never could. Can't never could. He drove that in my head, and I've lived by those words. Can't never could. We're going to keep trying. That same summer, he had me uh, slalom skiing, and Mendel, my oldest, my uncle, had me taken off from the bank on a slalom. So I went from having the awfulest time on two skis trying to get up to being able to start off the bank and go. I was about nine years old. Can't never could. And we, we get so many things in our, in our minds that come about, and we, that's, that's, that's not possible. I can't do that. I never could do that. I'd never be able to accomplish that. I could never achieve that. I could never do that. I couldn't ever get in, like, I think of myself, I would have had the awfulest time getting in honor classes at school and stuff like that. You know, college would have given me absolute fits. I, I, looking back, that would have been impossible for me. But 
I want you to look, what challenges you? What things have you allowed yourself to say, hey, I don't think I could ever do that. There's all different ages in here right now, and there's things that I know are going to come to your life and, and appear to you that they're going to challenge you, and you're going to think, well, I never can do that. I could never do that. That's not possible. I'm looking at that verse, all things are possible. And then I look at verse 46 and we, we see a place that it mentions here. Then they came to Jericho. Y'all remember what happened in Jericho? Y'all remember the kid's song, right? And the walls came tumbling down, right? Y'all remember that song? I wonder, I wonder if any of them, whenever Joshua said, come on, the Lord has told us to march around this city, around these walls. And for six days, we're just going to march a lap around this city. And on that seventh day, we're going to take seven laps. And at the trumpet sound, we're going to shout and we're going to holler and we're going to carry on and make all the noise we can. And the walls are going to fall down. I wonder how many of them is like, you're crazy. <laughs> Ain't no way. That's impossible. How's our shouts going to make the mortar and the brick come apart and start to tremble and fall down? How is our voices in that trumpet going to do that? That's not possible. And I think back of even some more with Joshua. When Joshua was fighting this enemy, when it's like 10 to 1, okay? So there's 100, and there's, they're going against 1,000. They've got 1,000 men. They're going, I mean, good not Think about it. They, was so, they were up against so much, and there's, they had to, as Joshua and all his men, they had to be looking at the enemy going, there's no way. There's no way we're going to win this. This is impossible. But yet, everywhere the Lord led them, they won. They were victorious over and over again. And it's because the Lord was before them fighting their battles for them. And He was constantly comforting them, saying, Hey, Joshua, be strong and courageous, for I am with you. And He told them once, He said, Every one of them will fall before you. Every one of them. No one will be able to stand before you. And God, he, he caused chaos, and, and they started fighting themselves. There was five cities, five other countries, five other kings had gathered together to fight against Joshua and his men, to stop them. But God caused chaos among them, and they started fighting amongst themselves. And then God started throwing hailstones from the sky down on them, and more of them fell to that than to Joshua and his men's sword. And do y'all remember the prayer that Joshua had at that time? He said, Lord, will you hold the sun and the moon still for about a day so that we can finish them? So they won't have a chance to rest and gather themselves back up and get a plan. Lord, let us finish them now. Hold the sun still for us for about a day. And it says, God heard from a man. He listened to a man and he did that. Is that not incredible? What man thought the sun can st stay still for some time? I mean, I thought of my life. I've been, there's like, the sun has come up, let's see, like, I forget. It's like 13,000 times, 900, and I forget what it was. I figured it up one day. That crossed my mind. How many times have I seen the sun and the moon be perfectly consistent over and over and over again? doing the same thing is that not incredible that a man thought god you created all that you control it you sustain you you keep all of it in balance he could do this for us 
He could hold that thing still for about a day and let us finish this battle. God does impossible things. And he does it because he loves and cares for us. He does it to bring glory and honor to himself. To show the world he is with us. Now I want to ask you, what what things are you allowing in your life to, to rob God of? The glory and all that he's wanting. What things come up in your life where you say, man, this is impossible. And we rob God of showing out. I wonder what I've done. What blessings have I missed out on? What blessings have I missed out on sharing with others for not believing what we say we believe? All things are possible with Him, with God. All right, I think there's proof of one man actually believing it right here in Mark. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples kind of marked down who all we got going on here. Jesus is coming with his disciples all together with a large crowd of people. There's a huge crowd of people following Jesus and his disciples. Why? Because they've been doing all kinds of crazy things for people, right? They've been going around showing the glory of the Lord. They've been doing these miraculous things. They've been doing the impossible. They were leaving the city. And a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. All right, so we got Jesus, we got the disciples, we got a large crowd, and now we've been, there's mention of two more people. A blind man, Bartimaeus, and even his father. This blind man, I'm going to look into him just a little bit. It says one thing about him, he's sitting by the roadside begging. He's sitting by the roadside begging, and he's blind. I wonder, is anybody in here really struggle with their eyes? Has anybody ever been temporarily blinded? Do they know what that's like? Raise your hand if you've ever been temporarily blind, even if it's for a moment or a day. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I asked, I had a, a couple of nurses and a doctor around me at one point, and I said, hey, if, if someone's blind, you know how we look at that light. I'm probably messing myself up here. I'm not going to be able to see my scripture now. But you look at a light, you close your eyes, you see what? I still see that chandelier. It kind of burns into your eyes a little bit, right? If you close your eyes and you walk outside and you point your face up to the sun, not only can you feel those rays on your face, but you can still see it even through your eyelids, right? You take a bright flashlight and just like you can shine it through your cheek and through your fingers, you can hold it up to your eye, you still see that flashlight through your eyelids. Does a blind person even see that light? They do not. So I tried to imagine myself being stuck in my own darkness. Being able to see absolutely nothing but my own darkness. Being trapped in that. I don't know how many years this man saw nothing but darkness. But I cannot imagine... I cannot imagine. I think of all the beauty that I've got to see and witness and enjoy by looking around. I mean, we all felt the same about the rain today, right? Normally rain is gloomy and not welcome, but today it was hallelujah. We needed some rain. It was such a pleasant sight to see and to hear that rain coming down. I cannot imagine not being able to enjoy seeing things like flowers. Husbands, can you imagine ever seeing the beauty of your wife or children? I can't. I can't imagine it. 
this man, here he is, he's blind. He's sitting on the roadside and it says he's doing something. He's begging. We think of begging and it's, it's not got good, uh, a, a good feel to it, does it? It's very negative, right? We think of beggars and we, we think immediately of the homeless people, the drug addicts and alcoholics, people that have made some really poor choices and they've fallen on hard time and for one way or another. That's where they are and it's not real good, is it? It's not a real welcomed crowd, is it? Not thought very high of. I mean, we got all these nice church folk in here and everything, and y'all got good reputations. You thought highly of, you're respected, but how much respect do we have for those who are begging? I think of this man a little bit different than that, don't you? I believe many are looking at him and thinking that way. Here's just another old beggar asking for everything I got. I work hard for it, but here he is, he's begging, he's wanting what I got. I believe some are acting that way, treating him this way. But I look at this man and, and, and I start to think a little bit about it. I think he's really asking for help. I think begging may be a, a little bit different here for, for him. He's, I really think he's asking for help. Every time I look at this scripture, Mackenzie, I hope I don't, uh, don't uh, mess up here. But I think of Mackenzie when I read this scripture a little bit. And you say, well, how in the world? McKenzie ain't blind. No, he's not. But he had a good job. He had a good job. He was getting, you know, everything was fine. And he comes to me and says, I think I'm going to go to FCA and work with FCA. They don't write a paycheck from FCA. Y'all know that, right? Y'all realize how that works? No. It means he has to go ask for help so that he can do what he does. And there's a lot of humility that comes with that, right? I remember how difficult that was for you. I remember how difficult as a friend, a family member, it is to say, yeah, go ahead, man, do that. Now, that don't seem wise, does it, to ask for help. And that's for a lot of people. This blind man, he could have said, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to get by however I can or I'm going to die. He could let pride in him and, and all that. He could let himself just say, you know, if I can't get it on my own, then oh, well. But he decided to go ask for help. And, and we all, we realize, if you've got kids, you realize you can't raise them kids on your own. You're going to need some help, right? Grandparents to watch them every now and again, a family member, brother or sister, some, a good friend. Somebody's going to have to help you with them kids. We, we realize if you've got any kind of farm at all, a homestead, a little hobby farm, or a commercial-sized farm, there's no way you can work that on your own. You're going to have to ask for help. God has a way of bringing humility to every single one of us, bringing us to a point where we realize, man, I cannot do this on my own. I have to have some help here. This blind man realized, well, that is absolutely foolish for me to think that I can get through this life on my own here. I've got to humble myself, and I've got to be willing to ask for a little help. So he's sitting there on the roadside saying, can I get a little help? Can I get a little help? I need just a little something to get me by. Can I, can I get a little help here? That's the kind of man I'm seeing right here, this blind man. He named his father. I don't think he's some just regular old beggar looking for a fix somewhere. He's needing help. And he's humbled himself and he's sitting there and he's asking for just that. As he's doing that, there's things going on. If you look at verse 47, there's something going on. That there's a crowd coming this way, and people are talking, and somebody says, that's Jesus of Nazareth. And the beggar says, who? That's Jesus of Nazareth. He's coming with his disciples. The one, you know, that's healed the blind. The one that's healed the deaf and the mute. 
the one that's cast a demon out of the young boy, the one that stopped him from all the seizures and from the, the demon that was throwing him into the fire and into the water trying to kill the young boy. That's even, that's the one. This is Jesus, the one that walks on water. And it's fed to 4,000 and to 5,000. This is Jesus coming. He's coming this way. And I'm wondering how much of that, there's all this talk and this chatter going on about here's Jesus. And this blind man, he can't see the crowd, but surely he can hear it. And there's probably such a crowd that he can even feel the ground starting to shake a little bit with all the footsteps coming in his way. And he's hearing this and he's heard it before. And I believe he's a man that has heard the prophecies before and knows a little bit of the Old Testament based on what he says next. He begins to shout. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's just lifting his voice as loud as he can, shouting amongst the crowd over it the best he can. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. There's something really important about that son of David. He's saying this, this Jesus is not just a man doing great things. This is Jesus, the one who is fulfilling prophecy. He is the one, the one that brings salvation to all. He is the Savior. He is our King, our Lord. He is our Savior. This is the only man that can bring help. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. He's believing with everything in Him. This is my only hope. This is my only chance. All this help I've been asking for is answered right here in this one man. Jesus, Son of David. And He's calling out and the people say, Be quiet. Be quiet, blind man. I'm sure somebody said, Be quiet before I make you mute. They just hurled insults at him and everything else, but he continued, Jesus, have mercy on me. Verse 49. Jesus stops and he says, Call him. Call him. That's circled real big in my Bible. That's something that really just grips me. Call him. Every one of us has gotten a phone call and we pick that phone up and we look at it and we see the number on the ID, right? Some of your phones now have somebody's name because you got it programmed in, but you used to recognize the phone number. Y'all remember that? You used to recognize the phone number and you decided whether or not at that moment you were going to answer, right? You see that name on it. Do I have time to answer my sister's call right now? <laughs> You look at that caller ID and you decide whether you're going to answer it. But all of us has gotten a call and we've all done that. Just the same spiritually. God has called to Him every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. He has called all to Him. And it troubles me greatly when somebody doesn't pick that call up. When they look at it. Just the other day, a fella comes by the job... And him and his boss were bringing some logs. I got to talking to his boss and quickly found out that his boss was saved. We were having a good time sitting there sharing our testimonies and just things that God's done in our lives. And we were, the louder we got and the more excited we got, this fella in the truck was kind of drawing in. He had his arm hanging on the side and had his head hanging out. But as we got to talking, you could see him just kind of doing that. 
And I noticed it out of the corner of my eye, and I, I interrupted his boss. I said, hold on, hold on. I said, it's clear. The Lord has saved your soul. And I said, I believe I've proven to you that he saved me. But I grabbed that fellow on the arm, and I said, but have you let God snatch you from the flames? For 15 minutes, I begged and pleaded with that man. And I could see his legs shaking. I could see his pulse rate just going crazy. The veins in his neck were just pounding. His hands were trembling. Tears welling up and a logger's eyes, okay? Tears just welling up. And I'm sitting, you, you recognize the number on the caller ID right now, is what I told him. I said, you know who's calling you. You can feel it. You already know that. You recognize the number. You recognize the name on that call. Why not answer it? Pick it up. I'm hollering at him at this point. Just pick it up. Let me show you how to answer it. I'm not ready. And we went through it all. Everything was extinguished. There's no excuse. He had nothing left. I, I mean, we went through every bit of it. He wouldn't answer. He wouldn't answer it. And it leaves me with how in the world, how in the world can one come face to face with God, recognize that that's the Holy Spirit right there just pulling on your heart. He is calling you to Himself and not answer. What can you possibly use as an excuse? And I begged and I pleaded with Him. And I, told, I had to leave Him with, look, you know where I work? I go to Earl's Grove Baptist Church. You can come there anytime. You can look me up. My phone number's on the bulletin there. You can find me at just about any ball field around here. I said, just if ever you're ready, let me know. I'd love to see it. And that's your end of the family. He hadn't called. I got to see him again, and I went right back through it. I wonder how many times God will call him. I'm looking at you right now, and I'm hoping and praying that everybody in this room is saved. But are you answered the call? Have you answered the call? Are you answering the call? There's a continuation there. I can't help, man, that stands out big to me. He says, call him, and he does. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet. He is calling you. Look at the reaction of the blind man here. Y'all know, y'all get the same picture of a blind man as I do. I'm going to do it one eye here because I almost fell off the stage one time. But you got, <laughs> you got the blind man, they go slow, right? And every one of us has made a trip in the middle of the night to the bathroom. You curl them toes up, you put the hands out in front of you, and you turn your head because you've hit your nose before. You've stumped a toe before. A lot of times I kind of go through there even like this with my elbows out so it's more of a graze rather than a thud, right? But every one of us, you move slow when you can't see. And here we think the blind man, you look, he's going to be coming slow. But no, he throws the cloak to the side. He jumps to his feet. And I believe he grabbed one of them disciples by the shoulder and was like, come on, let's go, let's go. Show me the way. I believe there was nothing worrying him at all. He didn't curl the toes up at all. He, he didn't have the hands out. He was, let's go to Jesus. Let's go to Jesus. Is that how we get, when we know that God's working in something and around us, do we get that excited about, well, we, don't, we throw every care to the world off? I, mean, I don't care what happens to me. Right now, I'm just going to make my way to Jesus. Jump to joy and make our way to Jesus. 
He makes his way to Jesus. He stands before him. In verse 51, Jesus says, What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Man, there's a lot in this scripture, isn't there? What do you want? I wonder if Jesus was to actually stand in this room with us and go one by one, go stand right before each one of us and say, What do you want? What can I do for you? What do you want? Think right now, and you're not going to be able to answer it. It would be foolish to try to answer it without putting a lot of thought into this. But I want you to think about it for days, weeks, however long you need. If God came to you and said, hey, what's the one thing you really want? What do you want? The Word says, come to me and ask. Ask for anything. Jesus is like a father. God is like a father to us. We give good gifts to our children. How much more of a good gift does God want to give us? He wants to give us everything that He can. Everything we're willing to let Him give. Think about it that way. If God come and stood right before you and said, What do you want? What are you going to ask Him? Do not forget this question. You understand me? Do not forget this. You think about this over the next few days. What would I ask God? I've thought about this much, and there's a lot of answers there, right? There's a lot of good answers. If we want to sum it up for everybody in this room, if we all wanted to answer together, if we come, come together and collectively made an answer for God, that answer should be, God, I want what you want. Simply put, God, I want what you want. But for me individually, that answer is a little bit different. What's the, greatest thing that, what's the greatest thing that comes to mind? What do you really want the most of anything else while we're here on this earth? As a carpenter, I really took it literally when I started reading the Bible. And it says, follow the example of Jesus. Carpenter and preacher. And so, yeah, I'm, but I, did, I understand and relate a lot to my profession, my, my, my work. And I think of my tool belt. And as carpenters, you got all these tools in that belt. You got tape measures, chalk boxes, squares, you got chisels, screwdrivers sometimes, you got the nails, and you got your hammer. And I don't know what it is about those hammers, but if anybody's going to brag about anything in their tool belt, expect, I mean, carpenter, it don't ever, I ain't ever seen it go away. They get a new hammer, they come in bragging, hey man, check out this new hammer. Feels good in your hand, right? And we love to pull that hammer out and weld on things and move things over and drive them nails in where they're supposed to go and all that stuff. We use hammers for a lot of things. And I think about my tool belt and I think, man, that is the most prized tool that I have in that belt. It's the one I enjoy grabbing hold of the most. Yeah, who likes a screwdriver? Man, it just tears on my hand, don't it? Nobody likes a screwdriver. We often use them wrong, driving them into things. We've got the hammer in the right hand and... Screwdriver in the left, right? Misusing it. It's always that hammer is my favorite tool to pull out. And any carpenter, they brag on that hammer. And I thank God, you, I, we are all tools in God's hands. And I want to be the most favored tool, the one that brings the most joy to him when he's using it. I want to be the favored tool in his hand. It feels good pleases him that's what I want God can you give me that I want to do all I can do for him I want to make God happy while I'm here on earth
Amen? Yours may be different. That's mine. That's my, if God asked me what I want, because man, he's given me everything else. He really has. He's given me everything, a beautiful family. He's given me a good work. I mean, he's given me so much. A knowledge of him, nothing's better than that. But I'm going to ask you to hang on to that. Jesus is asking you, what do you want? What can he do for you? And collectively, we should want what he wants. Jesus asked him this, and the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. I want to see. And we know this is the word of God. We remember these stories. We know what happens here, right? The blind man was able to see. And it says he followed Jesus. And how he welcomed Jesus into his presence. He was shouting, Jesus, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. I believe when Jesus healed him, he didn't get quiet. As he followed, he was going from town to town. This is the one. This is the one. He started telling about all the things that he had done for everybody else. And he goes, even me, I was blind. I once could not see. Now I can see. Now I can see. This is Jesus. The one who gives us back our sight. And I want to take that. I'm, I'm looking at this. We understand the physical, right? How desperately we do need these eyes. I can't go do my job with, without these eyes. I have to be able to see good, to do good work. And I, I realize, man, I, what, the things I would miss out on. I'm sitting there at dinner today, and I look across the table at my little, uh, little girl, and I'm thinking, man, how beautiful she is. Thank you, Lord, for giving me these eyes so that I can see her. All the beauty, everything else, we take it for granted, don't we? But here we got our eyes, and I'm looking at this. We, we can understand how terribly that would be to, to be blind, how desperate he was to be able to see, to enjoy the things that you and I see every day, just once. Lord healed him, gave him his sight. And I believe he used every moment of his life from that point on to tell others about it. But I think spiritually speaking here, you think back through your walk with the Lord. Did we understand as much 10 years ago as we do now? Some of you have been saved longer than that. 20 years, 30 years. Some of you have been saved almost all your life. Have our eyes been opened to anything else? To more and more? As we grow spiritually and we mature we, we, our eyes are open to more and more, right? I think back of that fellow that I was trying to witness to. God put in my peripheral, in the side view over here, I saw that man shrinking back. The Lord opened my eyes to his need in that moment. God did. And I'm saying right now, spiritually, we need to be asking, Lord, let me see as you see. God, give me eyes to see the way you see. They saw that man as a beggar, and they told him to be quiet. But Jesus saw a chance to give glory, to bring himself glory, to raise the Father up right here. He, he saw this as an opportunity, and he did. 
And God, how do we see all these people? God wants us to see the needs of others. Every place that Jesus went, all throughout the New Testament, every time he went to a new town, every time he went to a well, anytime he went anywhere at all, he met somebody, he saw a need for them, and it says he would have compassion on them. He would care enough about them to try to meet that need. He didn't have to just try, though. He did in every case. I look at our churches today and how we are spiritually. The church, the body of Christ, you and I, I look at us today and I'm thinking, man, there's a whole lot of people out there that wants to be given to. They want to take and they, they want it. what's best for me. This church is best for me. It meets my needs over here the best. But we are not to be like that. We're to be giving and, and to be compassionate on others, to see the needs of others. We're blind. We're blind to the needs around us so often. And I'm looking at this scripture and I say, you and I, so many times, we are blind to the needs around us. And we need to look at this passage of scripture and take it serious and take it to heart and say, God, I want to see as you see. What if we saw ourselves the way God does? See, we, we think of ourselves sometimes too highly. Sometimes we think of ourselves too low, don't we? We need to see ourselves through God's eyes. Lord, how, how are you feeling about, how are you pleased with me right now? How do you view me right now? How am I doing, God? How am I doing? We need to be able to see ourselves through God's eyes. That good screen right here, this is the filter. This is how we do it. You've been reading it? We need to see our, uh, our friends, our family members, our co-workers, our classmates, our teammates, everybody that God puts in and around us. He does those things intentionally. He brings around people. He put, fills them all in around us on purpose. Not by chance, not random, not without anything. Just It's all got a purpose. Everybody that He brings into our path is there for a reason. And He wants us to see them the way He sees them. What are their needs? How can I meet them? Christ didn't ever say, well, they can do it better over there. Somebody else can come along and help you with that. He didn't ever point them in a different direction and say, they can help you over there. He met their need. So I ask that our prayer tonight be, Lord, give me your eyes and let me see the way you see. Father God, we love you. We thank you for opening your word to us, God. For pouring into us and to be impatient for us, God. For all the grace and the mercy you've given us. Lord, I'm thankful for all the opportunities that you give us to serve. Father, I pray that we not miss out and rob ourselves or others on the opportunities that you have for us when we think it's too difficult think something's too hard or out of our abilities, that we'll trust you in every situation. God, you're enough, and all things are possible through you. Lord, give us your eyes and let us see others the way you see. Let us see ourselves the way you see. And Father, work in and through us. And God, if there's anybody here tonight that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray tonight be the night. Today be the day of salvation for them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.